the uh, snake, of course, bit him on the mouth. Uh, his mouth started to swell up, so he got the bright idea of, of trying to uh, run electricity through it. And so he and his buddy hooked the jumper cables up to his mouth uh, and then the other end to a car battery and kaboom. As you can imagine, uh, he, didn't, he didn't do very well. Welcome to the Medical Mythbusters podcast, where we set the record straight on today's most talked about medical topics and questions. On every episode, we'll hear stories from the front lines of medical care to help dispel common myths and answer the questions you've been itching to ask your doctor. And remember, you can always find more information on this week's topic and hundreds of others on MerckManuals.com. Now, here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of the Merck Manuals, Dr. Robert Porter. Welcome to the Medical Mythbusters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Porter, Editor-in-Chief of the Merck Manuals. On this episode, we welcome my old friend and colleague, Dr. Gerald O'Malley. Jerry is a professor of emergency medicine at the Sidney Kimmel School of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. He's also the director of toxicology at Grand Strand Regional Medical Center in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's been a practicing emergency physician for, what, about 20 years, Jerry? Well, since you were my attending way back in the day, yeah, it's been about 22 years. <laughs> uh, making me feel young like you always do. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about uh, one of the more searched terms in the Merck manuals, bites and stings. And that's a pretty big topic, so I thought we'd stick with things that uh, we see here in uh, North America. And that, that reminds me, one, one night I was working in the ER, and a chap came in. He had a glass jar with him, and it was in a paper bag. And he said, don't look in the jar yet, but it's my snake, and she just bit me on the thumb. I thought she might be pregnant, and I wanted to see how many eggs she had in her tummy. Uh. <laughs> and so he did, in fact, have a bite on his thumb. He says, oh, Doc, I know I'm supposed to cut it open and suck the venom out, but I was too scared to. So, Dr. O'Malley, should, should he have done that? No, he should not have, and I hope he didn't want you to do it. <laughs> he did. He suggested that. No, we generally, as toxicologists, we generally recommend don't start cutting and sucking because you will probably start cutting things that you need, like arteries and nerves and tendons and stuff. So, frankly, the only two tools or devices that you need if you are bitten by a snake are a cell phone and a set of car keys to either call 911 uh, and get a ride to the hospital, or even Uber will take you to a hospital. So for, I think, most civilians and, and people who are accidentally envenomated or bitten, just get yourself to a hospital or call for help. Now, you mentioned envenomated versus bitten. Is, is there a difference? I mean, if a poisonous snake bites you, don't you get a, a good dose of venom? Not always. Uh, it's unclear how many, the actual percentage of snake bites result in in an envenomation, um, I've heard estimates of, of anywhere from you know 25 to 50 percent of uh, actual bites by a poisonous snake results in envenomation. The older the snake is, the more they can control how much venom they inject into you. And most snakes, they just want to get away. So if they see you, most people are generally larger than the snake. The snake's not interested in in uh, biting you and injuring you. They just want to get away from you. So they may bite you without injecting any venom into you, and then just so they can get away. Well, smart snake. So how can the person themselves tell whether they've been envenomated or not? 
You, you can't. Uh, a lot of times physicians have trouble determining whether or not uh, an individual has been bitten. So typically if, if you are bitten by a snake and you show up in an emergency room, you can plan on being there for at least six or maybe eight hours until the doctors can run some tests and observe you over a period of time to figure out whether or not you've actually been envenomated. Okay, so if it's a little hard to tell early on, uh, what, what about putting a tourniquet around the bite? Is that a myth or medicine? It, probably more of a myth. Some toxicologists like to recommend <clears throat> applying a light constricting band on the extremity uh, because you would slow down the spread of the venom through the lymphatic system. The problem is that once swelling begins, those loose constricting bands can rapidly become tourniquets. And tourniquets cut off blood supply, and that's never a good thing. So we generally recommend no tourniquets, no rubber bands, no tied up bandanas or anything. Just just, just avoid doing it. Uh, same thing with, with cold, with ice. Uh, for a while there, people were uh, recommending immersion of the injury, in, injured exper- extremity in, uh, in cold water or ice. You're actually complicating things because if there is an envenomation and you have tissue that's being injured, well, now you're going to make that even worse by adding a thermal injury onto it. So again, get out your cell phone, call for help, or get in your car and get to a hospital. And that's probably the best recommendation I think we can give. So I guess if ice isn't any good, then this last remedy I've heard of really is bad. I've heard applying an electric shock to the bite might help. Well, I I don't know where that came from, but (laughs) there was a, a theory flying around uh, among snake people that if you were to run electricity over an envenomated area, you would somehow denature the proteins and... and, uh, and break ina- them down, in other words. Right, and inactivate the, the venom. Uh, that is a very, very bad idea. And there's a one of the guy who taught me toxicology, Dr. Rick Dart from uh, University of Colorado and uh, Rocky Mountain Poison Center, he, he published a case in the Annals of Emergency Medicine years ago of uh, a guy who was uh, trying to kiss a snake and of course, the case the snake didn't want to Might kiss him. Might have been a friend of the patient I had. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so. But the uh, snake, of course, bit him on the mouth. Uh, his mouth started to swell up. So he got the bright idea of, of trying to uh, run electricity through it. And so he and his buddy hooked the jumper cables up to his mouth uh, and then the other end to a car battery and kaboom. As you can imagine, uh, he didn't he didn't do very well. So... Yeah, electricity, ice, tourniquets, it's all bad. What else do we need to know? There's an old uh, Boy Scout saying um, when looking at coral snakes. Oh, yeah, red on yellow, kill a fellow, red on black, venom lack. Yeah, exactly. right. Right. That's the way the story goes. My take on that would be red on yellow, leave it alone, red on black, leave it alone. I think that's the best advice. The snake will be happier, you'll be happier, and we in the ER will be happier that we don't have another snake bite to take care of. So good, a lot of myths we were able to dispel about snake bites. But now let's talk about what's actually the most commonly searched topic on MerckManuals.com about bites, and that's spider bites. And I gotta say, back in my clinical day, that was such a common thing. All the time people were coming in complaining of spider bites. Was that in your experience too? I can't remember a single shift I've worked in the last 22 years in which somebody didn't come in with a pimple 
convinced it was a lethal spider bite. How many of those do you think actually were spider bites, looking back on it? None. Well, I shouldn't say none. Very few, probably. Yes, very a, few. A few percent. What kinds of things might be mistaken for spider bites? A pimple. <laughs> uh, a, another type of insect bite. Um, a, uh, an infection. Now, we talked about recognizing snakes and how hard that is. How about spiders? I know sometimes people would come in and see me with a spider bite, and they'll bring what they want me to identify, and it's not only not a spider, it's like a piece of lint or something. Can you tell? No, I can't tell. I mean, like you said, people will wake up uh, with a pain in their neck or you know, in their scalp or on their shoulder, uh, and they may, as they get out of bed, realize that there's a crushed insect in the pillow. So naturally, the thought is that, well, I've just been bitten by a spider. You know, if I don't start crawling on walls and shooting webs out of my wrists, then I better run to the ER quickly. And they do. And they very often bring in this smushed insect. And I have no idea what it is. So if we can't tell from looking at the insect or from the person's description, what do we really pay attention to when someone comes in with a possible bite? That's a great question. Uh, since it's very difficult to examine an insect or a spider and determine uh, whether or not it's venomous, even for professionals. And so, uh, like toxicologists often do, we don't spend as much time worrying about the poison. We spend all of our time worrying about the patient. Well, that sounds sensible. Right. What, so what symptoms are the patient presenting with? Is there swelling? Is there pain? Uh, are their vital signs abnormal? Is their blood pressure low? Are they having an altered mental status? Are they acting bizarrely? So they're going to have some symptoms. They're really not going to feel well. Right, muscle cramps, uh, pretty severe pain. The black widow spider bite, if it were to bite you and envenomate you, you're going to know about it. It's not something that will sort of sneak up on you later on. And it's one of the few things that we can actually treat in the emergency department. Oh, what, do, what do we have to do for black widow spiders? There's an antivenom that's available for black widow spider bites. Uh, it's tricky, and it really should not be administered by somebody who is not a toxicologist. So I shouldn't be pulling that out on my own without giving you a call, then, is what you're saying. Just as the older snake antivenoms were very tricky, Black Widow antivenom could, be, could actually cause more problems than it solves. So what are some other myths about spiders you've heard? Well, I think there's all sorts of myths about uh, spiders laying eggs under your skin and, you know, little baby spiders bursting out a week later. Uh, I had heard a myth that you're never more than like three feet away from a spider anywhere if you're in you know, the wilds of Wyoming or in your Manhattan. I mean, there's a spider somewhere close by. Spiders crawl into your mouth at night that you, you consume eight spiders a year and the food that you eat. I think most of those are myths. There's really no scientific evidence at all to support any of those things. But I'll never forget the first time I looked into a woman's ear and saw a little spider in there happily moving around in her, in her ear canal. 
and uh, I made sure not to let her know it was a spider until I once uh, until after I had gotten it out of her ear, uh, because I didn't think she would handle it too well. So just like the snake, it's not so much a matter of what spider it is as what's going on with you. Are you having symptoms from the bite? It's painful, you're feeling sick all over. That's the most important thing, right? Exactly, I would agree with that. If you don't feel well, for whatever reason, and you think your symptoms might be due to a spider bite or a snake bite or some other kind of insect bite, then that's what an emergency room is for. Go to the ER, be checked out by a doctor. It might be a simple, quick trip for reassurance, or it might be something a little more complicated. That's what we're here for. Thanks, Jerry. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Did you know you can use MerckManuals.com to find in-depth content about hundreds of medical topics, including those that may be difficult to spell? Simply browse by using the letter spine search function on our website. It's the best first place to go for easy to understand medical content. Now back to Dr. Porter and the Medical Mythbusters podcast. We're back with Dr. Jerry O'Malley. Now, you mentioned uh, other bites and stings. What's, what's the most common bite or sting that you typically see in your practice? It's certainly not uh, spider bites. Probably bee stings or wasps, uh, yellow jackets, depending on the time of year. Now, those, I don't think we have too much trouble with people identifying it because I know I've gotten stung, and boy, you know right away that you've been stung and it swells up. What are there danger signs that people should watch out for with a bee sting? Virtually any bee sting or wasp sting or, or yellow jacket sting or uh, centipede sting, they're going to hurt. <laughs> they're they're going to sting you and it's going to hurt. The issue or the, the concern would be if uh, you were to, to develop symptoms aside from just pain at the site of the bite. If you were to develop trouble breathing, if you were to get lightheaded and dizzy, if you felt that your throat was closing up, these types of symptoms I think should prompt a trip to the emergency department. Certainly a number of people are allergic to bee stings and they know it and maybe they carry some medicine, but there's plenty more people out there who've been stung by bees many times, never had an allergic reaction before. Are they safe? Are they, can they know for sure that they'll never get an allergic reaction or might they sometimes develop one? They're not safe. Uh, just because you've been bitten before and didn't develop an allergy doesn't mean that you won't develop one next time. The venoms of the different insects are, are similar enough where you could develop an allergic reaction to uh, an insect even though you've been bitten, you've been stung before and have not developed an allergy. Tell me about some of the worst bee sting reactions you've been consulted on. Uh, there was a an article uh, written in one of the trade newspapers about an emergency physician who was riding his bike, uh, and a bee flew in his mouth and stung him in the back of the throat. He <laughs> he coughed it up, and and uh, naturally, being an ER doc, he just figured he would go home and take some Benadryl, which he did. Uh, but after a half hour or so, he began to realize that his throat was indeed uh, beginning to swell and to close up. So he got in his car and he went to the emergency department and was observed for several hours and determined to be okay. 
uh, he was given some steroids and sent home. He went home, slept for an hour or two, and then went in and worked his overnight shift. We had a, a nine-year-old girl who, when I was uh, on Okinawa, uh, a nine-year-old girl was bitten by something. We're not quite sure what it was. It was some sort of a flying insect. It could have been a bee or a wasp or something. And she developed an acute allergic reaction uh, and came into the ER. Uh, and that girl aged me 10 years in a half hour. So her face swelled up, her eyes swelled shut, her, her throat began to close, and I electively intubated her. Uh, we gave her uh, epinephrine, steroids, and then she developed uh, a reaction to the steroids. She was very sick for a very long time. Had she used an EpiPen before she came in? She had not. Do you recommend that for our listeners who uh, are known to be allergic? Yes. I believe that the primary care providers or the pediatricians should actively engage and ask their patients whether or not they have ever been exposed to uh, an insect bite and had a, a severe reaction. And they should carry EpiPens. And every nurse, uh, school nurse, should have an EpiPen in, uh, in their office. And the first responders, too. Right. Now, I've practiced my whole career in the southeastern Pennsylvania region, so I've seen all sorts of land and air, animal bites and stings, but I've never practiced near the ocean and treated jellyfish stings, but I understand you have when you were in the Navy and in South Carolina. Now, what about this myth that if you urinate on a jellyfish sting, that that will help it? It's not a myth. <laughs> really? It, yeah. Peeing on a, on a jellyfish sting will make it feel better. There's nothing magical about the chemistry of the urine. It's just the fact that you're applying a hot liquid to the, uh, the sting, and that'll make it feel better. Even more so, it, by, by peeing on a jellyfish sting, you're not, at least you're not causing any injury. There are myths like applying vinegar or applying meat tenderizer that could actually cause injury to the exposed area. Okay, so it's not a myth about the urine. That's very interesting to know. But I'd have to say, since you know, most bystanders' supply of urine is somewhat limited in volume, um, we, we ought to have something else we can do. So is there anything people can do for jellyfish stings besides that? Uh, you need to find more hot liquid, such as water, to submerge your hand or your arm or your shoulder uh, in. The other thing you can do is use a credit card to run over the area, and that'll help to dislodge and remove some of the nematocysts or, or parts of the jellyfish that are still in your skin uh, that could potentially... That's the little stinger things. Right? right. Exactly. The little stinger things. And uh, you run a credit card over that several times and, again, submerge your hand or your leg in uh, hot water, and that's really the best you can do. So, Jerry, if I asked you to pick out the three most important things people ought to know about uh, bites and stings, what would that be? We live in a world that we share with lots and lots of creatures. And some of these creatures uh, have venom that they use to bite or sting you. The overwhelming majority of these bites and stings are benign. You can take care of them at home yourself with some soap and water, some ointment, maybe a cool compress, some pain medication like some uh, acetaminophen or some ibuprofen, and you'll be fine. So where can people go for some information about bites and stings? They should go to the Merck Manual, number one. <laughs> but if they don't happen to have a Merck Manual handy or they can't get their computer open, they can call the Poison Control Center at 1-800-222-1222.
dial that number from anywhere in the United States and you'll be routed to your closest poison control center. They're open 24-7 and they will be more than happy to give you as much information as you need uh, and help you make a decision as to whether or not you should go to the emergency room or not. Well, great. Well, thanks a lot, Dr. Malley, for all your time and expertise. And I think I speak for myself and all our listeners that we feel a little bit more prepared to take the right action in the event of a sting or bite. So for more information on these and hundreds of other medical topics, visit MerckManuals.com. And remember, as we say in the Merck Manuals, medical knowledge is power. Pass it on. Thanks a lot and good day. <laughs>